Welcome to a special year-end episode of Rebel Roundup with some of your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. So much left-wing lunacy, so little time. Kurt Schlichter drops by to give us his top 10 list of liberal nitwits for 2018. And thanks to ongoing protests in Paris, the city of light has turned into the city of fright as the common folk tell the ruling elites enough is enough. Martina Marcotta will give us an idea where the Yellow Vest movement is headed in 2019. And speaking of 2019, Rebel Commander Ezra Levent will give us his State of the Union address as Rebel Media heads into our fifth action pack year. And finally, instead of reading your letters, I'll end the year with some final thoughts. Those are your Rebels, now let's round them up. The top 10 biggest liberal idiots of 2018. I'm going down. Here's the countdown. Let's start at number 10. My very own congressman. The congressman representing all you see here. Ted Lieu. If he was any dumber, he'd be a mineral. This is the guy who recently went on CNN and said, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to be able to control people's speech, but that darn First Amendment. And then he kind of said, wait a minute. I, I said that out loud. Ted Lieu, number 10. Number nine, the looming doofus, James Comey. Really? Really? This guy? This is the, this is the paragon of integrity. This is the, the towering bastion of honesty and goodness and, and oh, I already said integrity, but heck, more integrity? He's a clown. He's a liar. He's a doofus. He's a dork. And every time he talks, more and more people go, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is our ruling class? <laughs> time out. Ah, so many liberal loonies, so little time. Indeed, 2018 was truly a bumper crop year when it came to left-wing idiocy being spewed south of the border. And our US-based rebel, Kurt Schlichter, well, he's compiled his annual top 10 list of biggest liberal nitwits. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Kurt. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, I, I, I got to apologize though. I was very cis United States. No, because that... I didn't include I didn't include any Canadians. And you guys have uh, you guys have been working overtime up there, starting with the uh, your your boy premier or prime minister or whatever the hell you call him. Well, I'm sure he thinks of himself as a boy wonder, but you know, believe me, we've had a bumper crop too. And unlike you, uh, the head honcho in charge is indeed one of these liberal loons. But Kurt, I imagine it was a challenge simply confining your list to just 10 candidates in this day and age of Trump derangement syndrome. But in addition to uh, Ted Liu, how about we look Ugh. at a few of the candidates on your checklist who deserve extra special recognition? Well, you know, Ted Lieu is actually my congressman. Yes. And his office is not far from where I'm sitting right now. You can almost smell the stupid. Um, but boy, there, 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 it was a challenge, just narrowing it down to 10 idiots. Uh, I mean, that was, that, was a, that was a lot of effort. I mean, I had to leave out some real, uh, real contenders. But I think I got a good list, you know. 
Oh, uh, indeed. And, and, you know, Kurt, we don't have time to go through all 10, you know, so maybe I'll cherry pick a few of my favorites. Okay. I, I look at uh, leading the hit parade for me is Pocahontas herself. I mean, only Elizabeth Warren could fail a DNA test and somehow spin that defeat into a victory when it comes to making her case for her alleged Native American roots. How is this even possible? Yes, I'm a Native American because I'm one 1,024th <laughs> Native American. I am a rounding, I am heap big rounding error. Um, it, you know, I, I, you look at that and, and remember the, the thing about these intellectual lips, and she taught at Harvard, so she's special, is they're supposed to be so much smarter and better and more you know, equipped to govern than the rest of us. And then they come out with something like this and you have to wonder, you know, there are there are people staggering around on the street with half-empty beer cans, uh, you know, smelling of Budweiser, who have you know, <laughs> who make better decisions. And, Looking at this, you know, what the hell's wrong with you? No, it, it's appalling, and I think it's insulting to natives too. I mean, I, I could make the argument because I once had a ride in a Jeep Grand Cherokee. I'm I'm more Cherokee than Elizabeth Warren is, for goodness sake. But I mean, you know, the the sad thing here or the scary thing is that uh, in addition to elizabeth warren there's others on your list these might be kurt in the months to come the new face of the democratic party leadership as we head into 2020. well the new you know the new face is uh, definitely one of the new faces is the bucktooth moron from brooklyn uh, <laughs> alexandra osorio Cortez. <laughs> Uh, who never, you know, who never met a, 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 a mis misstatement she didn't make. I, it's just, you know, you look at her and I, I actually like the idea that a working class person sort of, um, you know, get, gets elected to come represent uh, Congress, an unexpected person. I, I think that part's good. That's kind of refreshing. But she she makes the mistake a lot of millennials mistake do and, and and you know she went to you know she went to a liberal college so she's well indoctrinated she doesn't know what she doesn't know <laughs> and, and she and she confuses a valid and important outsider perspective with insights and those are very two different things you know, just because you're coming into something and you're seeing what happens and you can say, okay, I see this is happening. I think that's unusual and strange, but here it is with, well, I've got, you know, I've got some judgments to make based on my, you know, 25 years of experience uh, as a waitress. Um, and I think everybody should be a waiter or waitress, by the way. I think that's a good background, a good starting point, but it's a starting point. Yeah. And she seems to think, well, I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to rule. Yeah, no, and she seems um, totally out in left field and uh, misinformed, even on those subjects that she ostensibly went to college uh, to learn. And, you know, also on your list, um, uh, Kurt, it can't, we can't help but uh, talk about uh, Hillary Clinton. And I oh. think, you know, the worst thing I can say about the state of the Democratic Party right now is she might be their best candidate for 2020. What do you say, my friend? I think I, I think it could be. I mean, she, you know, obviously she's got health problems. Obviously, she's a staggering drunk. Uh, obviously, <laughs> she's a moo-moo wearing moron who can't keep herself from saying idiotic things. She's just a terrible politician. She always was. Uh, and 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 I'm glad she was because that helped bring us Trump. Uh, can, can you imagine 
the combination of malignancy, lack of wisdom, and just ineptitude that she would have brought to the White House. I mean, she she would make she would have caused something that makes what Marcon's going through in France look like a tea party. No, indeed, and, and you know, um, Kurt. Last month, um, uh, for work reasons, I attended. Uh, the Bill and Hillary speaking to her here in Toronto, oh. uh, as I call it, the Billary show. And um, oh it, it, the, I got to tell you, I was overjoyed that for the first time in my life when I went to a scalper, it, scalping was a reverse process, namely... The scalper was like less than face value. <laughs> oh, much I'll tell less. You, I'll give you 10 bucks for the 75 <laughs> tickets. He's like, please. And, and according to eat. one source, I mean, it was hard to get a count because they kept the lights off and they put a lot of draping around the arena where the Leafs play. But uh, one, one source estimated the attendance at the Scotiabank Arena was 16.6%. Um, so th I, I guess the, the thing is, so basically, so basically they couldn't draw fog hats. On no, this. no, th th they couldn't. You and, know, and if you said, Hey, I got fog hat and, uh, <laughs> you know, sticks is opening for them. That would have been like considerably more people. Oh, I think so. And I, I would love to do the same experiment, even in a place like Toronto, if Trump was, uh, having a speaking engagement, I think it would be standing room only, but the, um, you know, watching her speak and, and watching the, you know, the Clintons recite um, their self-written history of righteousness, it was a little much, I have to tell you, Kurt. And, but I mean, you know, on the theme of who might head up, um, you know, the, the Democratic Party in 2020, um, who do you see emerging out of the weeds? Mm. Well, look, I think Biden's going to be a player. Uh, and I think he's dangerous because he is, uh, I, I think actually he has more common sense than a lot of these people. Uh, there's Beto, who I just, uh, you know, I, I, I think he's, Beto is the Gary Hart or the John Kennedy or, you know, whoever's relatively good looking. You know, he, he, he fills that role for the Democrats. They, they love that guy. Uh, they, they're, the problem is when Democrats go to the polls, they're looking for a savior. When Republicans go to the polls, they're looking for a protector. And it's a very different, a very different vibe. Uh, Beto is another guy who is stupid uh, and unwise, and those are different things. Um, and 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 by being those things, he's going to provoke a backlash. You know, Hillary. Look, Hillary gave us Trump. Yeah. Because she's stupid and evil and unwise. If Hillary was smart, she wouldn't have made every would not have made everybody hate us. But she can't do that because she's dumb, and she doesn't understand that if you make people hate you, they're going to treat you like you treat them. Well, Kurt, you know we have to wrap it here. Um, I guess the silver lining in all this liberal idiocy is that they're going to make it easy for Trump to get a uh, a second mandate come 2020. So uh, an early uh, Christmas present for all of us, indeed, right? I I I, I sure hope so, but uh, I don't want to get overconfident. Okay, then. Thank you so much, uh, Kurt. All the best. Thank you. Merry Christmas. You too. And keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this.
Tear gas, water cannons, rubber bullets, just another du rigueur weekend in Paris, it would seem, as the City of Light descends into the City of Fright. And as you saw, our UK rebels Jack Buckby and Martina Marcota were right in the thick of things covering the Yellow Vest movement, a grassroots movement that originally erupted due to an incoming gas tax in France, but has now evolved into something more. Indeed, those yellow vests are popping up all over the world these days, including right here in Canada. And to discuss the future of this ongoing protest movement that seems to be all about the common man and the common woman telling the ruling elites that enough is enough, I am joined now by Miss Marcota herself. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Martina. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Now listen, for starters, you and Jack captured some incredible video footage during one of the Paris protests earlier this month. Martina, first of all, what was it like to be embedded in that crowd in the first place? Uh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, it was it was exciting, you know, where you just sent off. You're like, okay, there's going to be some exciting things happening. It's a protest, and I'm no stranger to protests. So I went and I was excited, and um, but it was something that I've never seen before. I, you know, there was smoke everywhere. There was booming and popping. Uh, a lot of that's captured on the footage, and um, it seriously start. It started to get serious pretty quickly. I mean, there was police in riot gear. They were shooting water cannons and uh, the tear gas, and uh, we didn't really have anything um, on our face for the tear gas. So at first it was like, okay, it's a little bit of stinging, you know, my mouth is, my uh, my nose is running, my my uh, face is burning, the face burns. Uh, my eyes were okay because I wear corrective lenses, so I wasn't having too much of a problem. Jack was crying, um, but it was manageable, but it just got to the point where they really, uh, there was all sorts of people, first of all, involved in this protest. You know, the media will claim that it's far right and all sorts of stuff, but there was everyone. I mean, we saw Antifa. We uncovered uh, footage of, of Antifa doing graffiti. I, I've, a lot of people attacking the police were uh, Antifa. They tend to, to do that. Um, there's regular people there that aren't even political at all. They just, they were fed up. They're fed up with the government and, and what's going on. So there was all sorts of people there. So it was definitely a mix of things. And once there was like heated back and forth with some of the protesters and the police, they started firing all sorts of stuff. There was rubber bullets, which were quite scary. Um, and that's what you see people being injured about. Uh, I mean, even the uh, tear gas canisters, when, when they fly up into the air, they can hit you. And 
there's people that were seriously injured. So it was really insane. I've never witnessed anything like that before. Well, thanks for taking one for the team, that's for sure. But, you know, Martina, as I said in the preamble, uh, th this originally began about a gas tax. I think it's evolved into something more, and it's spreading worldwide. Looking ahead to 2019, um, what is your take on this? Do you think this will be, you know, sort of a flash in the pan of how, you know, the tumultuous year of 2018 ended? Or is this just the beginning that we're witnessing right now in terms of a, a common person protest uh, right across the planet? I mean, I think it's the beginning. Uh, they're, they're not stopping anytime soon. The French people we spoke to, they're, they're dedicated to and going out there and protesting until there is significant change. And like you said, it's spreading, it started to spread through Belgium and uh, in Canada there and the UK. So it's really taking on a life of its own. And yeah, what started was one thing about tax in a, in a particular issue with France has turned into, yeah, we're all fed up with this globalism, with you guys abusing your power, taking extreme uh, pay uh, to uh, go out to dinner and spend tens of thousands on champagne. Well, you know, all of us are working really hard and paying a lot of taxes and can barely get by. So uh, everyone's really taking note and, and it's really turning into something. It's just the beginning. And, and tell me, Martina, since you were on the ground with Jack in Paris uh, a few weeks ago, when it came to those causing trouble, you know, the graffiti, the vandalism, the looting, um, you know, because you mentioned earlier that uh, Antifa came along, and, and that's kind of typical. Whenever there's a mass gathering, even if it's a, a celebration of a, a sports team winning a championship, you know, you, you get the jackals and the hyenas joining yeah. in to cause trouble. But who did you see causing the lawlessness and the troublemaking? Well, you know, it's interesting because there was a bit of instigation and uh, bottles being thrown at police. There was one instance where someone came up and started manhandling the police and took his shield. And I, and I have it, some footage of it. I think I, I reported on that where he was waving it up as like a trophy of I, I took the police's shield. And um, that was like, oh, you know, OK, can who's the good guy and who are the bad guys? I'm trying to figure it out, you know? And the French guy that we were with that was pro-protesting um, said, oh, no, that's leftist, that's leftist, that's Antifa. And I'm like, well, how can you, how can I just say that that's Antifa? I don't know. Um, that's just someone saying, oh, no, that's the leftist doing the bad stuff. Um, so I'm like, uh, okay, I don't know if I can say that. But when it came to nighttime and we came back out and saw is burning, cars flipped over. The, the first thing we saw was looting, a shop looted, and there was a local uh, store owner, a, a lady, really upset. She's out there on the streets, upset and kicking around all the all the looted stuff on the ground. And, and immediately I was like, this is not good. Mm. This is really mm. bad, you know? And I was like, I don't know what to make of all this. But then we noticed all, and this is on camera, you see the footage, there's the... Uh, anarchy symbol painted they said free bikes and there was the bike shops looted like very expensive triumph motorcycles um all the cars that were flipped over and burned they they have this uh what is it all all cops are something it's a a a c a b or something and uh which is 
something that, that Antifa uses. They were saying a yellow vest or the new black block, which is an Antifa thing. Mm. And the Arc de Triomphe literally had Antifa graffitied on it, which was so sad to me because I love arts and culture and something so beautiful. I mean, it was my first time seeing it. I was like, wow, this monument is crazy. It you know, represents Napoleon and his victories, Arc de Triomphe. And uh, to have just graffiti on it, it, it was so disrespectful. So that to me was the proof. It was like, wow, every car that's overturned and burned has it, its marking on it. Every store that's looted, they put their marking on it. So that was like, aha, okay, the guy was right. There is leftists in here, and they claimed it. You know, it, it doesn't come as a surprise to me, Martina, that the, the leftist element, especially Antifa, is, is causing a disproportionate number of uh, uh, amount of anarchy, I should say, g given their numbers. But um, one, one, la one last thing before we go, in case uh, those uh, who haven't been following this story um, are, are unaware of, the, the whole origin of the Yellow Vest um, how did that come to be representative of this outcry in the first place? Yeah, well, that's another interesting thing is that in France, um, they have certain laws and it's required for, if you're a driver, you drive a vehicle, um, along with having a license and getting your insurance and, and whatever, there's certain things that are required for you to have in your vehicle. Um, one of them is a breathalyzer. Everyone has to have one in their car. And uh, the other one is having a yellow vest. And oh. a lot of people just think it's ridiculous. There's all these little things that you have to purchase to have in your car. And it was just something they took on, which I think is kind of funny. And they're like, okay, now let's make use of these yellow vests that we have to have in our car. And it's for if you know you break down and you have to get out of your car and you're on the side of the road, you have the yellow vest. So, I mean, that's what it's for, but most people don't really use it. So when it came to this protest, it was like, well, let's use the yellow vests. <laughs> well, there you, what, what a fascinating story. And, and we'll just have to wrap it here, Martino. Just coming into Rebel headquarters today, I saw a guy in a yellow vest. I went, oh my goodness, where's this protest happening? And then I saw him get into a school bus and drive it away. So he's <laughs> he's actually using what it's yeah, meant you know. to be. It's kind of funny because there's sort of a bit of a, a joke that, that says that there's a silent protest with people. And so every time we travel or go anywhere, we see someone legitimately like wearing a yellow vest, a police officer, we're like, oh, it's a protest. <laughs> so it's kind of funny to see that. But yeah, I mean, like I said, with the Antifa stuff and, and the leftists and who's involved and what's really going on in there, I haven't seen any any other media outlet at all report on this. I haven't seen anyone show these Antifa graffiti signs. Uh, or anything, so it's it's only at the rebel. Well, knock me down with a feather on that last point. Anyways, Martina, thank you so much, and uh, continue uh, to stay safe in 2019. Okay. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. And that was Martina Marcota in London. And keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. As the clock ticks down to the end of 2018, what a tumultuous year it has been. But to paraphrase a line from an Elton John song, when it comes to Rebel Media, we're still standing better than we've ever been. And joining me now to give his year-end State of the Union address regarding Rebel Media is our Rebel Commander himself, Ezra Levent. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Ezra. Well, thanks very much. I'm, I'm still putting together my thoughts. I'm going to have a formal uh, year in review sort of uh, report to donors that I'll put online. Okay. Um, but I've, I've been reviewing a lot of things and we've had some, uh, there's different ways to measure the year. 
quantitatively, we're coming up on two billion minutes worth of videos viewed. Wow. That is so big, we have more than 1.1 million YouTube subscribers. That's more than the White House. Donald Trump's White House has fewer YouTube subscribers than us. Obviously, they I have other... He's strong on Twitter, though. He beats yeah. us there, <laughs> uh, 101. Um, so that you can do it by the numbers, yeah. um, or you could do it by geography. Mm. You, for example, covered the migrant caravan in Mexico. Yes. You just came back uh, recently from Morocco, yes. the UN uh, Compact on Migration. Sheila Gunn-Reed, at the same time as you were in, in that UN conference, she was in Poland covering the Global Warming Conference. Uh, we covered, um, I guess it was more than a year ago, we went to Iraq. Mm. We went to Israel. You were on that one as well. Yes. Uh, we sent Jack Buckby and Martina Marcota to Paris, and they were right in the middle yeah. of the of the protest. They, by accident, really, they just thought, well, the Arc de Triomphe is a good place to to do a, a video because it's a great backdrop. Well, the protest broke out <laughs> around them. We've sent people uh, to a variety of countries, um, and one of the places that I've visited uh, this year a lot was London, England. Because one of the things that I'm proud of that we did this year is we helped free Tommy Robinson from right. prison. And it was a strange thing because he was a former employee, like, like I fired him. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just how it was. I mean, I, I mean, Tommy's a great guy, but you don't want to be his boss. He's not really built for a boss. And I mean, it, he does great TV, but it just, it, it's no fun to be his boss. So I fired him in the spring and he had a few great months of just being like a wild horse without a harness on it. And then he was arrested and thrown in the back of a truck. And within five hours, he was sentenced to 13 months in prison. And he was quickly transferred to a dangerous prison yeah. on purpose. Like he was in a safe prison. He was, I'm not going to say he was enjoying it, but he was safe. He was fine. Then they deliberately transferred him to a prison that was run by Muslim prison gangs. Yeah. And the, the governor of the prison, what we call a warden, said, well, for your own safety, mate, we've got to put you in solitary confinement. And we got to take away your privileges because that's what happens when you're in solitary confinement. And he was in solitary for, for two and a half months. And you go a little bit mad in solitary. Absolutely. And he couldn't eat anything because it was all cooked by the prison gangs. And so he just had a, a tin of tuna and a piece of fruit a day. He lost more than 40 pounds in yeah. prison. We managed to crowdfund uh, a legal team. And as you know, we managed to help get him out of prison. And since then, we've become a little bit uh, friendlier, Tommy and I. I mean, not that we were ever unfriendly, but it's, it's better to be Tommy's friend than his boss, I think. But I think that we had an important role to play in freeing him. Um, and, and Ezra, on, on that point, though, if it, you know, and I'm not trying to blow our own horn, or, well, what the hell? We will, I will blow our own yeah. horn because it's the end of the year and we, we so seldom do it. If we hadn't, and if you hadn't personally gone to bat for Tommy, who was his champion over in the UK? Well, I didn't, I mean, I don't want to blame or point fingers, but, but it wasn't happening. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we do a lot of is crowdfunding. Yeah. And we try and be very specific. We say, all right, this is to get David to Morocco. This is to get Sheila to Poland. Like, we try to be specific. If there's any surplus, our terms of service for our website, it's, you can see that the rebel.media slash trust, say if there's any extra, we'll apply it to similar projects. Sometimes we don't make the goal. But um, we love to crowdfund. And our people obviously seem to like it since they do it. And, and with Tommy, no one, and so I reached out and I spoke to the family and I spoke to the lawyers and I said, come on, don't let him rot in prison. Don't, yeah. don't, don't. And I didn't know how bad he was in there because yeah. I couldn't talk to him. 
uh, he was only allowed, I think, two phone calls a week, obviously one for his lawyer, one for his wife. And no one was going to bat for him. They were going to let him rot. And I'm not yeah. blaming the family. They didn't have the, the tools. His wife is a mum and busy with the, and she's not built for public fighting. Yeah. So we helped them there, and I believe we made a difference. Yeah. And, um, but we've done a lot of things. I mean, you just came back from Calgary, where you dropped off 15,000 bucks at a veterans <laughs> charity. It's another example of crowdfunding closer to home. Sometimes people say, Ezra, you're helping those Brits out, because we did a lot for, for the Tommy Project, and I was really glad we did. Sometimes people say, well, what about the battles at home? Well, we're fighting, and you're part of that fight. Yep. Sheila Gunn-Reed's part of that fight. And we got a new fella in Calgary uh, who joined the team, Kean Bexty. Yep. And he's fighting hard. He's a young buck, and he's just giving her. 100%. And um, we've got some American talent. One of the people that I know your viewers are familiar with is Rob Shimshock. He's got yes. that website, Campus Unmasked. Fantastic. Yeah, and he just focuses on the campus beat. And I should tell you, I don't want to announce anything before it's done, but we're always, we're constantly on the hunt for talent. For a couple of reasons. First of all, because I like to find people who are undiscovered and say, oh my God, he'd be great. Let's get him on TV. So there's three people we're looking at right now um, who, if it works out, uh, hopefully we'll have some news in the new year, three or four people. And even if only one of them works out, that'd be great because I think we need more people on deck. Well, it's always great to be on the hunt for talent, unless, of course, you're uh, going <laughs> to replace me. David, you're irreplaceable. <laughs> you're one of a kind. Thank God. <laughs> but, but as I got to tell you, looking ahead to 2019, and I'm not trying to be a, a Debbie Downer here, but I, I think there's two compelling things. First of all, we know the Justin Trudeau media uh, Bombardier-style bailout fund yeah. is going ahead to the yeah. tune of almost $600 million. So if you thought Trudeau got an easy ride for calendar year 2018, well, you ain't seen nothing yet in terms of what happens when it comes to journalists self-censoring themselves mm -hmm. to not bite the hand that feeds. And also, in terms of social media, the, the big buzzword for you know, uh, people like us is deplatforming. We saw what happened to Alex Jones with Infowars. Is that, would you say, a sort of Damocles heading, uh, you know, hanging over our heads, or, or maybe have we dodged that bullet? No, it's absolutely our number one risk. Mm. Um, because I mentioned earlier, 1.1 million people voluntarily sign up for our stuff on YouTube. Now, don't think that means $1.1 million. No, no, <laughs> if no, it no, did, no. We'd, be, we'd be doing fine. No, um, I mean, we've been semi-deplatformed. Uh, we've been demonetized, yes. is the word. So YouTube gives us, whereas actually for a brief period from 2015 and 2016, we were actually making money on YouTube enough to yes. pay most of our salaries, they cut us off uh, in January, February 2017. And when I met with them here in Toronto and I had uh, video meetings with them in Texas and California, they said, yeah, yeah, we did. And they don't dispute it and they don't deny it and they don't apologize for it. They just have de monetized conservative commentary sites and they don't care and they really don't even want our business uh, I like being on YouTube because it makes us searchable and browsable and discoverable but YouTube doesn't like us yeah and you know I think especially in the United States I see this as one of the biggest stories to emerge it'll yeah. be who gets to control the town square in terms yeah. of freedom of expression especially with this being in the US a First Amendment issue and um, you know Ezra I, I think you've said this uh, story before but I you know ironically the brexit vote and then of course which was kind of like something that happened across the pond something yeah. over there but certainly Donald Trump winning in 2016 
That was kind of the turning point, wasn't it, for the social media Silicon Valley lefties saying, how did this happen? Yeah. Is it because these right-wing people have a platform? Well, that's exactly why it did happen. Yeah. That's how Trump managed to win with a fraction of the budget of Hillary Clinton and none of the establishment support. He won on social media through Facebook and Twitter and, and email and things like that. That's why we were demonetized because... Um, and that's why the timing, I said it was the end, basically January, February 2017. It took Silicon Valley a couple months to say, whoa, we did that. We have to make sure that never happens again. And shortly thereafter, wow. they shut down 30,000 Facebook pages that were supportive of Marine Le Pen in France. Yes. They wanted to stop the third country uh, from the domino effect. Uh, but it's not just America. We've just been talking about America. Um, Justin Trudeau has had a personal meeting with Sheryl Sandberg. Um, the senior um, officer, only numbered two to Zuckerberg at Facebook. And the Toronto Star reported this of all places. Uh, Justin Trudeau said to Facebook, if you don't crack down on fake news, that's his word for news he doesn't like, um, <laughs> and he specifically said in advance of the 2019 federal election, we'll do it for you. So he basically threatened uh, Facebook that if they don't censor us, who else could we even be talking about? I mean, Justin Trudeau uh, disparages us by name in Parliament. I think that's a great badge of honor. But when he then goes further than just expressing his opinion and pressures Facebook to censor us, of course it's a threat. And I should say that we have a number of, um, we were joking around about Tommy Robinson earlier. There's other rebel alumni out there, Gavin McInnes, Lauren Southern. Some people we fired, some people were hired away. <laughs> you know, there's Faith Goldie, there's... Uh, um, Laura Loomer. I'm just listing a lot of our, I mean, we've had some controversial personalities of the Rebel. Yeah. A number of them have been deplatformed from Twitter, PayPal, Patreon, um, Facebook, um, a number of places once they've left us. And, and part of me thinks, well, maybe because they got wilder once they left us, or maybe because Facebook and all these other places are building. Okay, first they went for Alex Jones, then they took him out. Then they went for Gavin McInnes. Maybe they're inching their way towards the center. So if they can shut down, I mean, Gavin McInnes is really a right-wing version of Bill Maher, yeah. the leftist comedian. Or, you know, he's, he's funny and he's rambunctious and he's political, but he's no more radical than Howard Stern. Yeah. But they shut him down because he, for whatever reason, I, that is my worry. I'm not worried that we're not connecting with our 1.1 million viewers. Obviously we are. I'm not worried that we're gonna make mistakes on, on our own that destroy us. I mean, we make mistakes every day, but we're almost four years old, we're alive. I'm worried that Justin Trudeau's gonna finally get through to Sheryl Sandberg, or Mark Zuckerberg, or Jack Dorsey of Twitter, or um, uh, I forget the, the name of the new executive at Google, and just shut us down. Yeah. Uh, not through a debate, uh, not through a government act, but through a private phone call saying, hey, I'm sick of the rebel, they said something mean about me, take them down. Unbelievable. Well, you know, Ezra, we're going to have to wrap it there. Uh, so, so many other things I wanted to talk to you about, but we, we just ran out of time. So thanks again for, for giving the assessment. And I got to tell you, folks, the difference between now and then, I think, and speaking as a journalist, this is what I find really disturbing. Once upon a time, and not too long ago, I'm talking 15 years ago when Ezra was publisher of the Western Standard, you would have others in the media, you know, who didn't agree with us, who had a different philosophical bent. They would go to bat for any media outlet being censored, and now 
they cheer on the censorship. Yeah, that's true. That's how, how terribly it's changed in recent times. But we're not for sale. We're going to keep fighting for you. And uh, like I said, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Well, that's a wrap for Rebel Roundup for calendar year 2018, and what a year it was. I fully expect 2019 to be a similar roller coaster ride, especially as we get closer to that federal election. Hey, <laughs> can't wait. You know, one of the reasons I love working for Rebel Media is the symbiotic relationship we have with you, our audience. It is the sort of relationship I've never experienced working for any other media outlet in the 35 years I've been in this game. And it is a symbiotic relationship in that we need you and, well, <laughs> you need us. By way of explanation, without your support, we are nothing. So to all of you who pay that $8 a month subscription fee and make donations to our various crowdfunding missions, I thank you all sincerely. Now, what's in it for you? Well, how about unfiltered coverage of the important issues that those in the media party increasingly veer away from? And come 2019, thanks to Justin Trudeau's $600 million media bailout fund, expect the media to be even more self-censoring as they demonstrate an outright aversion to, well, <laughs> biting the hand that feeds. We know that's going to happen by just looking at how the CBC currently operates, which is dependent on more than $1 billion of taxpayer welfare each year. And what do you get for that cash outlay, folks? Well, you get ideology masquerading as journalism. Just look at how the CBC covered or decided not to cover certain news items this year. Remember that woman in Vancouver who had coffee tossed on her by another woman clad in a hijab? It was all caught on camera and the CBC was there. You can even see their mic flash. But did the CBC report this? Nope. It just didn't fit with their so-called narrative. I wonder how the CBC would have reacted if the roles had been reversed. You know, if the woman in the hijab had been doused with coffee. Well, actually, I don't have to wonder. The CBC was front and center when it came to covering the story about that little Toronto girl who had her hijab shredded by an Asian man wielding scissors. Just one hitch, though. It was a hoax, a scam, a con, a heap and helping of tequila. And did the CBC even bother to cover protests by the Asian community regarding the libel that community endured thanks to the hijab hoax? Nope. <laughs> Nothing to see here, folks. And how about the Jordan Hunt story? He's the thug who allegedly delivered a roundhouse kick to the torso of Marie Claire Bissonnette, who was peacefully demonstrating against abortion at a Toronto street corner. It was all caught on video, and Miss Bissonnette actually sent that video to the CBC, offering them an exclusive. And amazingly, the CBC said they just weren't interested. The story was picked up worldwide. The video has since gone viral. But there was no story here for the CBC, and yet, you know, I wonder if Miss Bissonnette was a radical feminist who was protesting in favor of abortion only to be kicked by a man. I wonder if that would have been a story for the CBC. Um, I think that story would probably be the lead item on The National that evening. Misogyny running wild in the mean streets of Toronto. 
And finally, how about the CBC's coverage of the migrant caravan from Central America? When the caravan numbered about 5,000 people, the CBC's Susan Ormiston reported that 2,300 people, or almost half, were children. This was a bold-faced lie. We were down in southern Mexico when this nonsense was being reported. And we discovered that 90% of the migrants were young, able-bodied males, not children. What gives? Well, what gives is this, as Sean Hannity famously proclaimed in 2016, journalism is dead. Forget about all the old chestnuts like the public has the right to know and all the news that's fit to print. There are fewer and fewer ethical and unbiased journalists in the journalism business today. They have been replaced by ideologues and spin doctors and political hacks. And now that many of the so-called journalists will essentially be on the payroll of the Liberal Party of Canada starting next year, you can fully expect the propaganda to get worse as many media outlets will now devolve into a legion of CBC mini-bureaus, outlets that won't want to report anything that might be, you know, potentially embarrassing for the Liberals or, for that matter, Liberal ideology. Conversely, we at The Rebel are not for sale. We are not beholden to any political party. We are only accountable to you, our viewers. So as we head into 2019, we shall continue to exist as the proverbial skunk to the garden party when it comes to the liberal elites. We will continue to be that umpire at home plate, calling them as we seize them. And what's more, we wouldn't want it any other way. Happy New Year.